This is Father Gregory Pine. And this is Father Bonaventure Chapman. And welcome to God's Planning. Thanks to all those who support us. If you enjoy the show, please consider making a monthly donation on Patreon. Be sure to like and subscribe to God's Planning wherever you listen to your podcasts. Father Bonaventure. Father Gregory. Ordinarily, in the course of a God's Planning <coughs> show, we dedicate some number of minutes between 1 and 17 to banter on the theme of current affairs, mostly topics ranging from the weather to our dissertation to our like meta-narratival mm-hmm. musings on the process of writing a dissertation. Um, but I thought because this subject matter is something that both of us, well, maybe not. Okay, Father Gregory, discipline your speech. Um, I think this subject matter is important, and I think it takes some time to develop. Mm. So I propose to you that we just launch into it. Let's do it. All right. So the question that was posed by God's Blending listener, uh, Mr. Kevin Weiss, was... Hi, Kevin. Hi, Kevin. Um, was, uh, in what way are we obliged, or in what way uh, are we bound <clears throat> mm-hmm. to choose the higher good or the better good? So the basic question is like, so, so what sort of claim does the better or best have on me? Or is it yeah. sufficient, or is it good just to choose the good? Mm-hmm. Um, so... I guess, you know, thinking about this practically in terms of people's experience, uh, you're at the end of the night and it's 8.45 p.m. and you could get some good sleep so that way you're ready to pray in the next morning and feel fresh and feel engaged. Or you could like watch a little bit of that Netflix show that you like because whatever, it just came on to the server and it's been something that you want to see. You know that if you watch one episode, you might watch two and if that's the case, you might not sleep as much as you otherwise would. And, you know, so like you're starting to do these, these types of calculations in your mind. And you're thinking now, okay, maybe I have to go to sleep. Maybe this is a, a duty, an obligation. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What are your thoughts on the types of quandaries that people find themselves in? Well, I think right off the bat, it, it's, it sets up a, a way of understanding morality, or at least a way of thinking about morality as um, obligation and duty and, and being bound to something as an external thing. So one, you might want to wonder if that's, if that's a good way of thinking about the moral life or, or if that's the right way or that's the way we, sh- we, we do think about the moral life because you might think, actually, we don't generally think of it in that way. Um, but I, I, it is, I would say it's, it's important today especially because not only do we find ourselves in these, in these situations, but we have a lot more opportunities and choices about things in life. We have a lot more knowledge about what things do to just think of a very basic example, um, we have incredible knowledge or pseudo knowledge about nutrition and food st- stuffs, and we have on, the, on our packages of all of our cereals and everything else, or anything, um, nutritional guidance. So we have tons of we're being bombarded with information that I assume is not just there as random like factoids, but it's about nutrition, which is about well growth and developing and flourishing, and so. Sh- you're bombarded with information that says this might be good, this might be bad, and then you're asked to make choices, but you don't, it seems odd to be thinking I need to look to find out to make sure that my sugar content and my cereal or my dietary, for me, um, dietary fiber content is maxima. So regardless, before we even start the question, I think modern life today, I mean, back in, you know, we'll go back to the ancient time, I don't know, 120,000 years ago, for instance, um, I assume you just saw animals and just ate them, you know, and if, if you got, if you were lucky, oftentimes it was just you had plants and you tried to eat it, right, and then it might have poisoned you, and then you say, no, eat that plant, or whatever the noise was, you know, whatever that might have been, so I think it's, it's a, it's a, it was a, it's always a, a question of whether we should do things better or worse, and how much we, we ought to do this, and then you bring in moral stuff, 
but today it presses ones specifically one because of the information and two because of the larger issue of our moral sense has been removed in most of modern life from where it ought to be in a way and it's kind of like released the moral oughts and imperatives have wandered off of their their proper seat and now they're inv invading and taking over other chairs they ought not take over for instance i don't think sugar content should be run in the same way as like mass obligation or mass attendance so i agree it's it's a, it's a serious problem it's a human question of the good but it's exasperated by the the modern life and the information we have and then i think the the misplaced moral moral uh, imperatives and judgments mm -hmm. yeah i think um in our moral theology class with Father John Corbett, he was talking about how, well, like, the, the, the development of the natural law. So St. Thomas has this question where he describes how the natural law can't be blotted out from the heart of man, but man can come to a less excellent appreciation mm -hmm. of the natural law by virtue of sin, vice, fell custom, etc. Or he can progressively come to a better appreciation of the natural law insofar as, you know, by inquiry of mind and by, you know, sympathy of heart, he learns really like what things are and how you ought to interact with them. So he's talking about like environmental sins is a thing that St. Thomas Aquinas wouldn't have thought about, but that's, you know, uh, yeah, the type of thing in the 21st century that people sure. care about pretty, pretty seriously. And so, all right, so we've got a lot of information. Yep. We've also got uh, like a certain development <clears throat> of the natural law and heightened sensitivities. And more You're, freedom and choices. Sure. More opportunities yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. You think about like the prospect of travel, for instance, you can go here and there more quickly, more efficiently than you could formerly, and as a result of which you have more options. Yeah. But also I think some of our values are somewhat cattywampus insofar as, yeah, the 21st century modern world cares about things, mm -hmm. and it doesn't necessarily care about them in the same way that God does, right? So there's a lot of pressure there, too, um, to feel intensely or to care intensely about things which may not be for us, right? So um, yeah. there's like a pressure to care a billion times or a, a billion percent for you know, for the environment, mm -hmm. you know, for whatever other issue of Catholic social teaching, but as if they were all the thing. So I think that's also, yeah, that's also uh, a market pressure. Yeah. And then uh, I think that we, we just kind of like find it across different dimensions of life. All right. So like, say you're, um, I don't know, a student at Franciscan University of Steubenville and your friends are smoking a pipe, mm -hmm. um, you know, just like a tobacco pipe or whatever like that. Sure. And you're thinking like, oh, cool, you know, kind of a fun thing to do with a friend, have a good conversation. But there might be deleterious effects. You know, mm -hmm. I don't know what smoking tobacco, I mean, it's not cigarettes, you know, it's in the, it's in the cigar pipe category, mm -hmm. but might there be something about it that's suboptimal or submaximal? And then, you know, like you think about economics now, and in part because of, you know, exploding information, the world, you know, like kind of like the global economy, the possibility of transportation, you know, you can buy from a variety of vendors and a variety yeah. of sources. Like my parents had a Catholic bookstore for like 22, 23 years, but they didn't stand a chance against Amazon. And as a result of which, it closed. Well, as a yeah. result of their choice in light of the fact that they were paying into a bookstore, uh, they closed it. Or you can think about, you know, at the level of vocation, I think a lot yeah. of people feel a similar conflict when it's like, okay, this is, you know, religious life is objectively higher state. Mm -hmm. Am I responsible for just doing the thing on account of the fact that it's better? So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, maybe we can suss out some principles as to how we might navigate these decisions. We'll try. Yeah. Let's go. All yeah. right. <laughs> I mean, it's worth it's worth doing for all the set, for all the reasons we've just said. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. So, uh, just when within the setting of you know Catholic moral life or like the Catholic moral teaching, um, are there particular principles or particular points of departure that you think you know merit our consideration? So when it's a matter of okay, I want to do the good, maybe the best good or the better good, or 
uh, I don't know, the good that's for me specifically. Um, yeah, what are ways in which we can envision the question from your experience? Well, from, I guess the, the simple way we think about it is in terms of the, the commands of, of Christ, twofold command to love, your na- love yourself, love your soul, strength, mind, body, uh, and love your neighbor as yourself, this sort of thing, the twofold command of love. And then that gets, of course, branched out and, and brought it. The Ten Commandments kind of come in, in the background here, I suppose. So there's, there's that law relationship Right, so you've got you've got that there. So we have certain commands, certain precepts, principles that are we're to be attentive to. Um, then, of course, the virtues, which are not unrelated to that, of course, love, charity, and you have those as well. What guiding good action, you could say. So I think it's something about the interrelation. We have principles of law uh, and, and commands, and then we have principles of, of virtue and perfection. So it's a matter of you might think uh, things what one must do and things. Uh, what can do or ought to do, but the ought, this is the interesting thing for a philosopher, right, oughts come in two forms. They come in a categorical kind of ought, and they come in a, a sort of hypothetical ought, you could say, or something like a, a, a absolute ought. You ought to do this, and under no circumstances ought you do something else, um, but then you might have, you could have a relative ought. You ought to do this in these circumstances, depend mm. upon this, but, um, you know, if you were in other circumstances, that sort of thing. When the absolute oughts have no so, and I think that kind of maps the law and virtue aspect, and then of course the third thing is um, the the Holy Spirit. I mean we can't rule him out. I mean this is the life of uh, the the saints and responding to grace and these inspirations that I think aren't of course it's not the Holy Spirit's not going to inspire you to do something against absolute or even relative oughts in many cases, but that there's a sense of responding to the Spirit in particular circumstances when you see in the life of the saints. Their lives uh, are morally exemplary, but not in the way that, say, uh, but in a different way than, say, uh, the Aristotelian man might be, or a prudent man, a particular kind of type example. St. Francis, for instance, uh, is dedicated to poverty in a, a wholehearted entire fact. But it's clear that that's not, like, the norm, but it's also something that's good. So it's not law but it's also a good. And so here again, we have this balance, I think, between law and virtue yeah. um, in, the, in the commandments and the perfection of, lo- of the life, moral life. Yeah, I think sometimes in Catholic conversations, we place, well, how do you describe this? We make a false dichotomy between a like kind of moral life or a moral vision that's categorized, or excuse me, that's characterized by like law, duty, and obligation versus mm-hmm. one that's characterized by happiness, flourishing, freedom, yeah. virtue. But I think you're right to say, you know, both are present um, and both are goods. I think about the way that St. Thomas Aquinas describes the moral life in the beginning of the, well, in, in the Prima Secunde, he says that you've got these different helps, as it were, that God provides us with in order to draw us to himself in the context of a moral life. And so he says there are interior helps, uh, and for those interior helps, he identifies habits, specifically mm-hmm. virtues, and then, or among them, he, he identifies habits and virtues, and then he says exterior helps as well, among which he names grace and then law, right? So, yeah. and specifically in the order law and then grace. And I think about my own experience, you know, sometimes you're trying to figure out what to do, and you're consulting, you know, your, your please God virtuously formed appetites, but it's good, you know, just to have a law insofar as, you know, I need not think further about this particular issue, because it's well-defined for me. 
it's like, okay, um, you know, I want to love the Lord with my whole heart, soul, strength, and mind, and I want to love my neighbor as myself. And in this particular instance, it's a Sunday, and my neighbor is in need, and he's asked me to help him, you know, whatever, like refurbish his basement. Uh, but I also know that I'm not supposed to work, and that law is very clearly promulgated. Mm-hmm. All right, and I might try to, you know, do a little mental backflip and convince myself that this is leisure, but it's it's work. You know, like I need to I need to be able to find a way in which to do this that's not on a Sunday, for instance. And I need to be able to make it to mass on a Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. So it's like the law just sure. makes clear who I am, what I'm for, so that the rest of my life can, you know, take the appropriate shape in light of that fact. So I think maybe mm-hmm. you know, maybe that's part for, like part of the story is to say, okay, there are laws and there are virtues, you yeah. know, to take two big baskets and both have a place. You know, it's not it's not to pit them against each other. That's right. No, and and, ba- and sometimes balancing out is, is is a difficult question. And perhaps think it's good to think about not not only external internal. But think about like uh, guideposts or you know slalom gates, for instance. That you have to your the laws kind of provide outside uh, the boundaries, you could say, and the virtue. And but within there, that's where you need to figure out. It might be best to decide how what I do and how I how do I act within those boundaries, sort of things. The second thing is to say, um, with both those positions, they can be when taken to extreme become problematic morally. So the legal, the law one becomes legalism, you could say, and rigorism if you're not attentive to the virtue side, so if you don't balance it out. In the same way, but though I, I would say the virtue side, if you're, atten- if you're too attentive to the, the kind of perfectionism model of things, you miss out on the, the law kind of boundary models, and it slides into, could slide into some sort of just moral calculus, mm-hmm. some a sense of, okay, I've, I've, I've got to perfect this sort of thing. The things we started at talking about, about the, I always think that modernity is about the perfection of material extension. It's about turning us into machines and making sure all the, it's well, well-oiled and perfect size for everything. So it's a matter of, even within law and, and virtue, I think you, you, you've got two, two pistons, you could say, or two lungs, or two wings, or two feet, or you know, two birds, I don't know. Whatever, whatever <laughs> when you have two of and you want to move somewhere, they're both helpful for this. And of course, Thomas talks about grace as the, the law written on one's heart, mm-hmm. which is mystifying to me, but beautiful. Because uh, <laughs> yeah, I think the law ought to be written in one's heart, and I think that's a way of unifying them. I, just, I, know, what it, I know what he says, I just don't know how means yeah so one way in which saint thomas proposes you know like the interrelation between law and grace is he says okay so i'm going to describe it in terms of precepts and counsels all right so the precepts are the bread and butter there's what's like required of all christians and then the counsels are particular ways in which you can seek to live those precepts so precepts would be like the ten commandments right but he describes the ten commandments as like secondary precepts of the Mm -hmm. natural law the primary precept of the natural law is do good and avoid evil. The way that that's made concrete and particular in a Christian setting is, like you said, love the Lord your God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. So the virtue that counts the most, which represents the fulfillment of the law, is charity. But that doesn't mean that that clears out all other virtues or makes all other laws null and void, because you can think of these other laws and the virtues which kind of inform the Christian as he seeks to carry them out, as secondary to, as, as not like accidental to in the sense of unnecessary for, but as like ancillary to this primary pursuit. Yeah. And so what they do is they flesh out what it means to love. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, specific, more yep. specific context. Yeah. Like what it means to love the Lord your God with your whole mind, heart, soul, and strength. And these are just, these are precepts. These are the things that are demanded of us, right? So we want a relationship with God and we want to respond to that relationship adequately, fully. 
And so the precepts detail what that means, and then the virtues inform our pursuit. So the two go hand in hand as we seek to fulfill the law, right, but ultimately to embrace the object of our love. And then counsels, all right, you might do it this way or that way or the other way, are different ways in which we mm -hmm. can go about the pursuit of fulfilling these precepts. So like the evangelical counsels, poverty, chastity, and obedience, specifically in the context of the life, you know, like the religious life, is one way to go about that. But all Christians are called to a spirit of poverty, chastity, and obedience. And in particular instances, you know, like the fact thereof. And then those become means or ways counseled by God. You can think about Matthew 19, the conversation with the rich young man, as, uh, you know, like chosen means whereby to fulfill these precepts or, you know, come to the fulfillment yeah. of the law. And so we can think about the two as, again, law and virtue at the heart of this this vision, mm -hmm. and then different ways proposed that we can come to the fulfillment thereof, which afford for some liberty and freedom, but ultimately conduce to this perfection. Yeah, and I think I think people. So, it's one of those where whenever uh, Dominicans like to uh, you know seldom affirm, never deny, always distinguish, and when someone wants to, so we'll call it we'll say uh, moral maximizers. We mm -hmm. someone says, how I should I should I do the best? How do I do the best thing? Or should I do the best thing? And I feel wait, the weight of doing the best thing at all times. But maybe I ought to do this um, a sort of rigorous maximization of, of of moral goods. In some ways, you want to affirm. I want to affirm absolutely. Like the, you should be a goodness maximizer, right? But you want to maximize, maximize the, the, the good, uh, but the good life, you could say. But I think then people immediately slip to think of, well, wholes and parts as the whole just being the sum of the parts as opposed to kind of a, a, a broader project or an understanding that, the, that the, the whole is not just the sum of the parts, but the way they interrelate with each other. And you such, you might say, I'm going to maximize the good. That's what I'm supposed to do. We all agree with that. Um, the good life, but then then it means I maximize each, and that's how I do it is by maximizing the goods, mm -hmm. so particular things. And the thing is, when you the when you move from the general to the particular, you could say the strength of the obligate, obligatory force decreases a bit as the scope of what is under obligation widens. Mm -hmm. So it, so that as you get more more specific on these things, you have a wider option, and that's going to bring down, say, the vertical with the kind of strength of it. Whereas if you're just from the 5,000 you know, feet up in the air, or 10,000 or 20,000, whatever, it's high space. Um, <laughs> when you're Elon Musk floating around or whatever, then it's like we've got, you know, you cannot kill innocent people, like the, the kind of no things. But when you get down to it, like, you, you know, you're holding one almond bar and you're holding a, another nut bar and you think, gosh, which am I obligated to eat at this moment to maximize my goodness? And that, if you're asking yourself that question in Starbucks line or something, you need to step back and do some moral philosophy or theology or something because you have gotten yourself in a tight spot, my friend. Yeah. No, but we I... feel it. But I think it's easy to feel that because of the because we should be. We're aiming for perfection. Yeah. Uh, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, mm -hmm. and that means not just following particular laws, but actually developing such that you're a good person. Virtue, in a sense, never. Although it's the mean, uh, it's it it could always be greater, right? There's, I mean, God is the per the perfect example of these of 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 goodness, and we're always going to be short of Him. So mm -hmm. it's always more you could say you could do. But there might not be more that you ought to do, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, I think, okay, so thinking about this in terms of the virtue of charity, the double love command, uh, this pursuit of perfection. So, all right, uh, we're to love the Lord our God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. Our neighbor is ourself. Uh, you know, we're to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. 
were to care for our lawns, like the lawn care man immediately outside of this window is caring for this lawn. Um, and in, in light of these facts, right, uh, we need to go about, like you said, picking concrete and particular goods. All right, I think about this in terms of the theology of charity of remiss acts. Mm-hmm. If you haven't, you know, listener, if you haven't heard about that, I don't know that you have to look into that because the next two minutes will give you a, a nice little thumbnail sketch. I'm excited. Basically, like God, you know, gives you a, a certain degree of charity, which is to say like charity with a certain intensity and mm-hmm. extensity. And it's for us to respond to that gift, right? So to like make good on that gift. So if God gives you five talents, you use your five talents. If God gives you two talents, you use your two talents, etc. Just don't put it in a napkin. That's the basic idea. And as we exercise charity in that way, it, re- it redounds to the glory of God and to the salvation of our own souls. So that charity, you know, it, it grows in extent and it deepens its hold and in intensity, which is ultimately the goal is to continue to grow in love. Um, but that's not directly proportionate to the object of our loving. It's not like I get so much charity if I love a one pound mm-hmm. lovable thing and I get so much charity if I love a three pound lovable thing. You can think here of St. Therese who sought to love, you know, where she sought to do small things, little things, humble things with great love. Yeah. The idea is that you're looking to affirm your love of God and your love of neighbor in that concrete choice, mm-hmm. but with the recognition that that concrete choice is your concrete choice. It's not a choice made in the abstract or in mm-hmm. the ether, like I must make the best robotic choice. Like you said, mm-hmm. we're not like philosophic calculators. We're actually people in the here and now who have been entrusted with families and friends and other relationships, all of which have a claim on us and in the context of which we grow as individuals and persons. So I think maybe, you know, for the we have a little bit of time left mm. in the episode. Just thinking about, all right, so the limitations that we yeah. encounter in our human experience and then how those shape our understanding of the goods that we embrace or, you know, the particular goods that we choose in light of this this general vision which we've outlined. So I don't know if there's a first thought that occurs to you there. Yeah, it's, we're, you're fitted with a particular nature, of course. So you're one, know who, what you are as a human being, know your ex- ex- expectations, anticipations. And I think we sometimes miss that. But two, then you're also in a specific culture, specific context, growing up in a particular environment and such that you have, uh, you could say, uh, narrowed vision of the possible many goods that you have. Um, and so to lean into those, to be good and to aim and choose well, and with the with the skill sets you have, this sort of thing. Now, developing one that's reciprocal, you develop the better skill sets and better practices and more virtues as you develop these things. But to start making just good decisions, I think not worrying about sometimes uh, what's that what's that phrase? The the enemy of the, the the don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. This is fantastic because often you conflate the perfect with the good. But the matter is just start doing good, start doing good things, and don't worry whether you're doing the best good thing in this moment possibility uh instead just start doing the good and you will f- you will learn your way to the best as you go through that mm-hmm. but the best way to get to the best is by doing good and the best way to miss the best is by trying to figure out what is the very good thing to do in that case you might fall into bad just by merely waiting mm-hmm. when you have to act so start again starting in actually just just doing good uh, unless it's clear that, for instance, like, well, I could, it's good for me to nourish my body and it's good for me to save someone from um, getting hit by a car at the moment. And I could either push that person out of the way or I could go, you know, um, get a Starbucks or something. Both goods. But, you know, OK. But in general, our life isn't we don't experience this kind of thing. We generally have little decisions about moving, advancing the ball forward. And that's where we start practicing based on our own limitations about who we are, our backgrounds, and what we're capable of. And that's great. But those capacities expand with choosing the good each time you choose it. Yeah. I think that, um, all right, so we're talking about 
the particular, the peculiar Christian vocation that each seeks to embrace. Maybe just applying this to mm. a theology of vocation. Yeah. All right, you might say, all right, religious life, we said, is an objectively higher state. Then the question is, does that objectively higher state now have a claim on me? Like, must I thrill at the thought of what is objectively higher and respond accordingly? And I think the answer we would say to that, I'm actually astonished by how loud it is outside this room. It's impressive. Dear listener, I hope you're enjoying the musical stylings of Hanover, New Hampshire. Um, so, uh, no, because each person is called to a particular and peculiar vocation, yeah. right? So there has to be a subjective appropriation of the call of God because it's actually addressed to us as an individual. Mm-hmm. And like you said, you know, so we're limited. I mean, all human beings are limited by virtue of the fact that we're not angels, we're not God. We're here, we're now, we're dragging this body around with this tired soul, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, but also, like, you live in this time and in this mm-hmm. place and in these material yeah. circumstances in relationship with these particular people, all right? So you might not have a lot of money, and it might be less expensive to buy from a mega corporation. If you play that out to the nth degree, might that ultimately result in, like, the destruction of small business in your local level? It might, right? But I don't think that you're responsible for the scope of that decision because you're living here and now in these material circumstances, like in these particular relationships. And all of that has something to say about the way in which you respond yeah. to that call. The conditions, the, the circumstances, and the environment. Uh, the other thing to say about with vocations, like when you have an objectively higher good, don't conflate that with the necessary good. Mm-hmm. And that's why we might feel, and then you feel drawn to, well, I, it's objectively better, therefore I must do it. You might want to say to yourself, well, it's objectively better, therefore I could do it. Like it's not with a vocation, everyone could be called to vocation, not in everyone individually because then the planet just ends. Um, and maybe, the, well, maybe that's what Jesus wants us to do is no more children, but it seems unlikely given other commands he's given. Um, but it, so it might, so not everyone is called to be religious, at least in this life, but everyone could it's possible that you individually there's no one excluded in in general as a possibility in the actuality you might not be this not, might not be something you desire and that you want that's fulfilling to you but because it's objectively better it's good to think about and ask yourself the question ought i ought i think about religious vocation and then not hem and haw about it like well it's the best therefore i ought to do it no no do i want to do it yeah because it could be something it's better yeah, it's yeah. better. Maybe not better for me in the particular circumstances of my holiness, but in the general sense of a human being, well, it's, it's, better, it's better to do this in the general. And yeah. then the particular works it out. Yeah, and I think that when, we, when our minds are informed by what is generally better or mm-hmm. best, right, that's part of the moral process whereby we come to resolve on this decision or that decision. But ultimately, like you said, it has to register at the level of me personally, right? So we've, we've mapped out this vision of law and grace or of mm-hmm. law and virtue. Yeah. But ultimately, I think that, you know, in light of the fact that we're fallen human beings, we come into the world kind of bent, and part of the drama of human existence is getting unbent in Christ. So it's like by, by growth and virtue, your desires are healed and elevated such that, you know, if you're praying, if you're making good use of the sacraments, if you have good friendships, you know, if you have a modicum of penitence in your life, you're studying the faith, you know, you serve it to the mere material poor, etc., then you can begin to trust that your desires are being shaped according to the very heart of Christ and that you can follow them because they reflect his particular entrustment of a vocation to you, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, like, you know, God is provident. God has a plan whereby he orchestrates the movements of all concrete particular things in the universe such that they redound to his glory by a glorious diversity. Right, And you have one particular role to play in that vision, not as if you were just prescripted or, you know, oh, free. Pre- no, freely. Freely, That's yeah. A, and, and, free, and, act, and the actualization of free choice is actually a good. It is a good that you make free choices. So you not just like finding what you have to do, but choosing what you want to do 
adds is a, is a goodness in itself. You don't want to get existential in Jean-Paul Sartre and always that's what the fundamental good is. But free choices are good, otherwise he wouldn't give it to us. Yeah, and so in the unfolding of you know my and your free life, it's not as if there's some divine notion of how we could be if we were to make all the maximal optimal choices whereby God is you know, kind of judging us against this perfect paradigm or through which God is seeing us and making us to choose all the things by an inexorable law. No, it's like God entrusts us with our lives and he operates in and through our freedom and he's excited to see what we make of it. Mm -hmm. And that means responding to the healed and grown desires, the healed and elevated desires that, you know, take root gradually over the course of our ongoing conversion and which have us in contact with concrete and particular goods, which represent something for me, such that they can be revealed to you, to the universe, as part of the glory of God and the story of the salvation of souls. So I think that, yeah, when you come back to the question of, you know, if you want to smoke a cigar because it's a great way to have a, you know, like meaningful exchange with a friend that you might not otherwise have on account of the fact that it's difficult just to be like, let's talk, right? But when you smoke, it's like, hey, great cigar, also other things, you know, or, you know, with the mega corporation, we kind of map that out, the vocation question, we map that out as well. But like, yeah, this, I think that this has application in a variety of circumstances in our human lives. So we need not be um, terrified at the prospect of not choosing the better and the best, but we ought to be excited at the prospect of choosing the good for me in light of the good that God has entrusted to me. So yeah. we're coming to the end. Final thoughts? Yeah, it's... It we shouldn't be, you shouldn't be, even though the modern life conduces one to this, uh, you ought not to be paralyzed or anxious and therefore then apathetic. Like there's a sense in, the, in modern moral life, it's about, oh my gosh, I, I have to maximize these things. And there's so much evil in the world. And there's so much good that I could possibly do. And you say, I've got to figure this out. And then you realize you're not, it's not possible you could figure this out. It's inhuman to do this kind of calculus model things, living a particular extreme moral goodness, uh, so-called. And so you just let it go. Uh, as opposed to that, just realize, oh my gosh, common sense might be true. There are good things and there are bad things, and I should do good things, and there's plenty of options of good things, and sometimes good things is actually freely choosing amongst good things that makes it better, a better good thing. And that the moral life is a matter of growing in the life of grace, in the life of a human being, just as the way is childhood should not be a fraught moment of, oh my gosh, should I play in the sandbox here, or should I work on my vowels or something, because in the later I need to make sure I'm no, child life is, is a development going along with small steps that lead to a beautiful, hopefully, end product, and obviously sanctification and salvation. So the moral life is just the continuation of, the, of the, the development of the human person, and so it should be exciting and adventurous and enjoyable, and with its fits and starts, but not something to be paralyzed with or anxious about, and that in this, in this uh, what should we say, overwrought way that you can see so much in, 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 modern, in modern culture. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that the, the example of human maturation or going from childhood to adolescence to adulthood is a great example, right? I mean, it's not, it's not for us to like, look at the two-year-old and say, like, I am going to play you baby Mozart and teach you five romance languages before the age of five, because that will set you up best for flourishing in the setting of like the UN whatever. Uh, security council. We've, like, we've seen how this goes. <laughs> it develops people that ought not lead our countries and yet do. Yes. Yeah, so um, it's not for us to optimize or to maximize. It's for us to respond to the grace that God gives in a way that's consistent with the vocation that he is currently bestowing upon us. So that's all that we have for you today. Uh, thanks so much for listening to this episode of Godsplaining. Uh, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Like the episode, subscribe on YouTube or your podcast app, and leave a five-star review. If you'd like to donate to the podcast through Patreon, you can follow the links in the show notes or episode description. 
And there you'll also find links to shop our merchandise and get information about upcoming events at godsplending.org. So our prayers are for you. Please pray for us. And we'll look forward to chatting with you next time on Godsplending.